everybody. Thank you so much for taking a moment to greet um, the people around you. And would you actually continue standing as we uh, read the scripture this morning? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. All right. Hey, welcome everyone. Uh, my name's Adam. I get to be one of the pastors here at Mosaic. Thanks, Chris. And it's, it's so good to be with you. Uh, remember Hottober? Like, that didn't last long. We're here and it's chilly. Um, it's good to be worshiping with you. If you look around uh, for another week, we get to have some grade schoolers with us. Grade schoolers, welcome. We see you. And uh, the reason that they're here is the work that's being done in the lower level. Um, and so I wanted to, in regards to now and next, give you um, a quick update, a quick invitation, and a quick reminder before we open scripture. Um, the update is that we're getting closer to our projects being completed, which is very exciting. Um, in this space upstairs, we're very close. We're waiting for some products that have been on back order forever, like some new microphones and a few things. In the lower level, um, we were a little slowed as we were pulling up carpet. We found tile underneath. Who knew? And so, you know, when you're remodeling a 75-year-old building, you get to run into those types of things. Uh, but it is getting there. Um, next week, we should have use of the lower level again for our grade schoolers, and I know they'll be excited about that. Um, so quick update. A quick invitation is just an invitation for you uh, to contribute and be part of this story um, of now and next and, and the work that's being done. 
Uh, now our next is a, a two-year um, financial commitment that many of us have made um, to give above and beyond what our regular giving would be to contribute to the work that's being done with Now and Next. There's still time to be part of that contribution and that commitment. Um, if you're curious about that or like to take a step in that direction, come find me. I'll be at this welcome table at the end of the gathering. Uh, another way to contribute um, is actually contributing work. Uh, we're at a point in our projects in the lower level where our contract work is coming to an end, and now it's time for some of our volunteer work. And so if you have painting skills, some carpentry skills, uh, maybe some electrical skills, uh, it's time to raise your hand and let me know. Come see me at the end of this gathering. Um, we've had some, some volunteers already leaning in and doing some painting, and it's, it's been great, but, but I want to invite really our extended church family into that process. Um, again, just come see me at the table. Uh, so I wanted to update you, invite you. The last thing is remind you why we're doing this. It's great that we're in an auditorium now where we can see the words better. It's great that our kids' space is going to be nicer for our kids, but, but we're really not doing this for ourselves. We're doing this because this space is a gift that God has given us. It's a tool that God has given us to represent him in our city and in our neighborhood. And it just matters that we're here. It matters that we're in this space and that we're stewarding it well. I was having a conversation uh, with a friend who's very familiar with Mosaic and familiar with our neighborhood. And he was just talking about the, 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 the impact of the last couple years in our neighborhood and how it's declined. And, and he's like, man, even Starbucks is getting out of your neighborhood. But, but we're here and it matters that we're here Sunday after Sunday, people come into this space who are new, who are wanting and needing to hear a message about a Savior that loves them. Every Monday, there's dozens of Grant High Schoolers who are in this space, and, and they are having a moment where they can be with believers, and it's, it's powerful, and it's good, and it matters that we're here. And that's, that's why Now and Next is happening. So there's your update, your invitation, and your quick reminder. Um, we're going to open scripture now. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, turn to Luke chapter 10. And as you're getting there, I want to, I want to pray over us. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that week after week after week, uh, you faithfully meet us. Your spirit faithfully meets us. Uh, where we are, it, it never ceases to amaze me uh, that as we read a piece of scripture, um, knowing that we're all in different places and in life and experiencing different things and needing different answers, your living word has a way of being fresh and relevant for us. And I pray that that would be the case today. You would challenge us, you would provoke us, you would show us mercy, you would teach us how to be your sons and daughters. And so we give you this time as an act of, of worship. We lean in and listen to the words from your scripture. And we thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. So, the year is 2004, it's 18 years ago, uh, Dana, my wife, at this time, we had no kids. Um, we had just moved to Sydney, Australia, where I was going to be going to college. And our housing situation um, was, was pretty far away from where the school was. And it was clear after like day two, we we're not going to be able to just walk. This is too far. And so we thought, great, let's get bikes. So we went and we bought bicycles and we rode our bikes for a while. And after experiencing how people drive in Australia, 
we realized we're gonna die if we keep riding bikes in Sydney, Australia. And I really, really didn't wanna buy a car because we weren't gonna be there long term, but it became obvious we were gonna need to purchase a vehicle to make this situation work. And so I did what I've done many times, what I still continue to do, I found the very cheapest option available. I got into the papers and I, I found someone who was selling a car. Um, we went and looked at it. It was an, an early 80s Ford Falcon, which is the Australian version of a Ford Taurus. Very cool. It was gold colored. Um, it, was, it was not great to look at, but it was 800 Australian dollars. So I bought it and it was great for about 10 days. And then it started acting like an $800 car. Um, the fan belt began to screech. Your car ever do that? When you start, it does it for a few minutes. This would do it continuously, and it was so loud. It was so embarrassing to drive this car. Our friends called it the Screaming Falcon. They could hear us coming from blocks away, sitting in traffic, just like trying to not make eye contact with people. Um, and as the fan belt began to have problems, the alternator, which charges the battery, began to have problems. And this was a year before YouTube came out, so I could not work on cars at this point. The alternator continued to fail to the point that it wouldn't charge the battery after we would drive. So, this is what we did. Everywhere we would go, when we got to that place, I would back into a parking space. This is the grocery store or the mall or wherever, and we'd go and we'd do our business. And then when we got back, I, I wouldn't even try to start it. I'd pop the hood, I would connect jumper cables, and then I would stand and try to flag people down with my jumper cables, looking for, what, a good Samaritan. Oftentimes, when we hear this story, that's where our mind goes. The morality of helping a perfect stranger. And there is an aspect of that that is true in this story, and an aspect of that for a man driving the Ford Screaming Falcon that I'm grateful for people who are willing to, to help a perfect stranger. And the Falcon did not last long, in case you're wondering. A few weeks after that, it died. I bought another cheap car, and the wheel flew off while we were driving. That's the moral of that story. When we think of this story of the Good Samaritan, we often go to a very black and white story of, of characters who choose not to help and a man who chooses to help a perfect stranger. And, and, and this, this story in particular is really well known even beyond the church. It's one of the, the more well-known stories in scripture. In fact, that's a phrase uh, that's commonly used, being a good Samaritan. There's charities named after this. There's a hospital named after this. And it's readily available, but really, the heart of this story is about so much more than that. What's revealed in this story about Jesus is so much more than just the simplicity of helping a perfect stranger. Week after week, we've been going through the book of Luke, looking at the, 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 the stories of Jesus, how he teaches and who he is. And the reason that we're doing this is that the better we understand Jesus, the more we understand who God is. So Colossians 1 tells us that, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And this story that we're looking at today, it reveals, one, the character of Jesus. It reveals, it reveals who he is. It tells us something about his kingdom. This kingdom that he's, in, that he's building and who he's inviting into it. And it tells us something about his mission. 
this mission to all of the world, to you, to me, and to our neighbors. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. Uh, We're in chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It starts this way. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So our, our story begins with this, this interaction between an expert in the law and Jesus. And this, this scenario actually happens a handful of times in the New Testament. And, and what is meant here by an expert in the law is a little bit different than how we would say or use the term expert in the law. In our setting, uh, our laws that govern our land and our beliefs about who God is are, for the most part, separate topics. In this context, they were the completely same topic. This person who was an expert in the law was an expert in the law that was given to God's people, Israel, that we're reading about in our reading plan now in Exodus. This code, this law that was given, that that if it were executed perfectly, people would be in absolute harmony with God. So this man is an expert in the law, and he's wanting to test Jesus. And this was commonplace. There was a lot of, uh, of different ways of interpreting the law, and different teachers would have different aspects that they would, that they would highlight and teach differently. And, and, and so it was commonplace for other experts to test and question teachers. And he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this phrase is, is more than just, what, what must I do to ensure I'll have life after I die? This phrase actually means, what must I do to have life now and to have it to come, to have the life of God present in my life? What must I do to experience that? And so often, Jesus replies with a question. He does this over and over. He says, well, expert in the law, what do you think? You read it. You're an expert. How do you interpret it? And the expert in the law responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He actually responds kind of perfectly. That's ding, 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 right? That's that's the right answer. That's, in fact, in in Matthew 22, Jesus is quoted as saying the exact same things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your mind. So the, 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 the expert in the law responds and has this perfect answer, but then it says, seeking to justify himself, he asks Jesus the question, well, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I want to love the Lord my God with everything that I am, and my neighbor is myself, but I don't want to extend that love, that grace, that compassion, and that serving to someone who is not considered my neighbor. I want to be submitted to this commandment, the great commandment of loving God and loving people, but I don't want to extend to someone who is not my neighbor. So we see this conflict for this teacher of the law. He's wanting the life that God has. He's wanting to follow after God and to follow after this law, but there's a limitation to where that is extended. And so he asks this question, 
and who is my neighbor. Now, what's fascinating about this, with him being an expert in the law, it's funny that, that he wouldn't know to love God fully is to love people fully. If we go back to the beginning, into Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 12, there's the Abrahamic covenant, and it's a covenant between God and Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. It's the beginning of Israel. And he says, through you, all nations, all peoples will be blessed. The coming promise of Jesus, not just to who he considers a neighbor, but to all peoples. So who is my neighbor? And this story, this very, very famous story that, that we all know and have heard and have heard used in other places is actually a response to this question. And it has several characters. It has a traveler. We don't know a lot about the traveler. We know that they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho and that at some point on this journey, they get mugged. Robbed, stripped of their clothes, beaten, half, left half dead. That's all we really know about this traveler, that they were on this road, they were robbed, and they were beaten to the point that they looked dead, left stripped of their clothes, unable to help themselves, unable to save themselves, in complete peril, broken on the side of the road. The next two characters who are introduced are a priest and a Levite. Now, the priest would have been someone who would have served and worked in God's temple, doing religious duties, doing uh, the celebrations, the different uh, things and gatherings that they would do. This priest would have been serving in this, this capacity. And the Levite, Levites came from a man named Levi. He was uh, one of Jacob's 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Levites were set apart to be people who serve in God's house. When the temple was first put together, they were the people who actually would carry the temple from place to place, would set it up, and they served in God's house. And Jesus uses these two examples because they would have been the most obliged, the most likely to perform an act of mercy and kindness. These two kind of extreme examples. And, and really the whole story of the Good Samaritan is, is a bit of an extreme example. And so Jesus draws from that and, and has these two characters. And it says that both of them, when they see the man beaten, dying, stripped naked and robbed, they cross over to the other side. Now, the simple kind of moralistic application of this story says, oh, these, these two men had hard hearts, and they were kind of smug, and they walked to the other side. In fact, I can remember um, when I was a kid, we didn't go to church very much, but every summer, my mom sent me to all of the churches in my small town to their vacation Bible schools, and I'm pretty sure it was like a week off for her. Um, and so I, I remember being so vividly being at the park and at a, a one of the churches vacation Bible schools and they were teaching this story and the teacher was using this cutting edge technology for the mid 80s called a flannel graph. You, anyone heard of this? It's just like flannel board and then you have these pictures like paper cutouts that have flannel on the back and they stick to it. It's amazing. And 
they had the flannel graph for this story, and so they, they stick the, 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 the broken, beaten man, the traveler who is just on death's door and, and bloodied and robbed, and he's there. And then they had the picture of the priest and the picture of the Levite. And in both instances, they're turning their nose up and just like smugly looking away and looking like just kind of hard-hearted jerks, right? And it's, it, it's kind of simple for us if, if that's the story. Oh, just help someone and, and don't be hard-hearted. Don't be uh, dismissive of other people's needs. But, but in actuality, the story's a little more complicated than that. Now, remember, Jesus is telling the story. And we remember this from a few weeks ago. Uh, Jesus has, has pivoted. He's been doing this public ministry. He's been inviting disciples. He's been teaching. He's been doing all this stuff. And then he made this resolute pivot to now he's heading towards Jerusalem. So he's literally on the road to Jerusalem as they're having this conversation. And in the story, he says, there's a man, a traveler, who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, those are just cities in the Bible for us. For the people listening to this conversation, for this expert in the law who's asking this question, they would have all known, one, in this time, the first century, you don't travel alone. That's foolish. There's no cops to help. There's no regulation. And once you get outside the village, you are unprotected. You don't travel alone. Secondly, this specific route from Jerusalem to Jericho was known to be a perilous, dangerous route. It was a piece of land where Jewish people and Samaritans who did not get along were often warring and battling. And it was a very dangerous route. And so this expert in the law, maybe as he's listening to this story of the Levite and the priest who see the wounded man, the man beaten, left for dead, and walk on the other side, say to themselves, well, yeah, he made those choices. Man, that's, that's an unfortunate circumstance, but man, you make choices like that. That's, that's the fruit of your life. You've chosen to live like that. You've made really poor, foolish decisions, and now you are reaping the fruit of that. So yeah, I'm sorry that happened to you, but don't travel alone, especially on this road. Walk to the other side. Or maybe this expert in the law would have recognized that, that a priest and a Levite, I mean, they, they both have duties to do. And, and, and not just regular work, God's work important temple stuff. They've got to get about this business. There's, there's likely people waiting for them at the temple in the next town, and they need to go perform their duties and do what God has asked them to do. And, and in fact, in some of the, the, the Old Testament law, the, the code that they're lived by, they're not even really meant to be around a dead body. And that certainly looks like it could be a dead body. But if nothing else, I'm going to get blood on me, and then I'll be unfit, and I won't be able to do my priestly duties. I won't be able to do what the Levites are doing. And so, man, I'm sorry that happened to you, but, but I've got work to do, and it's really important. I'm going to be on my way. In fact, I'm just going to cross over on the other side and be on my way. As we, as we start to peel back some of the layers of this story, it gets a little more closer to home. So we peel back the layers of this story, it gets a little more human. Jesus is answering the question to this expert in the law, who is my neighbor? Then the story of the Samaritan comes. And as Jesus says, 
This starts in verse 33, his first three words, but a Sumerian. I, I kind of like to think that this teacher of the law knows exactly where this story is going. And if anyone that Jesus could have picked, not a Samaritan, they did not get along. They do not like each other. They think different than them. They vote different than them. They have different social views than them. They have different friends than them, different activities from them, but not a Samaritan. But Jesus chooses this person as the character of his story. It says in 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He was moved. He went to him and bandaged his wound, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? In answering the question, Jesus tells a story of two likely candidates to show mercy to someone beaten, left half dead on the side of the street. And then he gets the most unlikely person. No Samaritan would help. That's not in their nature. That's not who they are. And this Samaritan, he comes. He finds a man broken. He heals him, puts bandages on him, pours wine to disinfect, puts him on his own donkey, raises him up on his own donkey, takes him to an innkeeper, uses his own finances to help this perfect stranger recover his life, save him from death. The story of the Good Samaritan is a picture of God's heart. It's revealing his character. I don't know if the, the expert in the law put this together, um, if he was recognizing this as Jesus is telling the story of a man broken, beaten, and an outsider coming to save them, the unlikely coming to save him. He's talking about himself in, re in relation to all humanity. The human condition is this. We are in disrepair, and we cannot fix ourselves. We over and over again choose what is not right, what goes against God's nature, and we cannot undo those choices. We are this broken, beaten, half-dead, robbed traveler on the side of the road. And Jesus is our Samaritan. Listen to this in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead, in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were in nature deserving of wrath. But, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in our transgression, it is by grace we have been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. This story reveals the character and the nature of Jesus. He is the Samaritan. The expert in the law and others like him were not looking for someone like Jesus to be the Savior. He was discounted. He was rejected. 
And yet, he is the one who comes and picks us up, bandages our wounds, leads us towards safety. His character is revealed in this story. What he wants us to know about him and his relationship to broken travelers like you and I is revealed in this story. His kingdom is revealed in this story. The fact that he is choosing a Samaritan to make his love known, to reveal who he is, is a pretty good indicator of how he thinks about his kingdom. Who gets invited in? We've been in Luke coming up on a year now. Isn't that crazy? And one of the themes that comes to the surface over and over again in the book of Luke is that everyone, all peoples, all race, all colors, men and women, everyone is invited into his kingdom. It's a massive theme in the book of Luke, and it's showing up again in the story of the Good Samaritan. Think about the the mandate for Christ followers in Acts 1.8, right? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth that we're called not to people who just think like us, who look like us, or who are comfortable around, but to all people. This, this is his kingdom. It's a kingdom that's advancing for all people, and as it's advancing, its trademark is to bring justice. The injustice that falls on the man who is robbed and beaten of no fault of his own is met then with justice through this Samaritan. The expert in the law, um, I'm wondering if he would have recognized this was a little bit of a theme for the people of Israel. To be engaged in worship of God, but not engaged in his kingdom work to bring justice to the world. There's a a, a prophecy, an account in in Amos 5, and and God is speaking through Amos, and he's speaking to Israel because they're at a point where they're going through the motions. They're showing up. They're they're, they're going kind of half-heartedly through the law, but, but they're missing bringing his justice to all people. And he says this, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your heart, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is his kingdom being revealed. And his mission. His mission is found in that question, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The person who the Samaritan has loved and cared for and has become the neighbor. This mission that we're invited to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Ephesians 5 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We engage in the mission of Jesus when we follow the example of Jesus. So this story of the Samaritan, it's pointing out his character, his kingdom, and his mission. So how do we engage? What does this look like for us? As much as I love the story of the Good Samaritan, it's also a bit daunting, right? It's also a bit desperately challenging. Ah, oh, man, how do, we, how do we live like that? There's, there's that kind of need all around us. How do we even 
begin. There's two things from the life of Jesus that I want us to consider this morning as we walk in his footsteps. One, Jesus was spirit-led. We see this over and over again in Scripture. When he's baptized and he comes up out of the water, it says that then the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness where he fasted and was tempted. When he, in John 4, when he heals the, the, the blind man and he's being questioned about this, he just simply says, I only do what I see the Father doing. It's clear that Jesus lived a Spirit-led life, listening to the Spirit and obeying. Listening to the Spirit and obeying. Now, the reality is there is more need in our city. There's more need in the 10 blocks around this building than we collectively can meet. The point of the Good Samaritan story is not for us to charge after every broken situation we can find and to throw ourselves at it. It's to be spirit-led. It's to be open and listening. God, where are you calling me? Where are you leading me? Into every situation. I mean, think about it. Jesus had the power to heal and to raise the dead and taught with authority. There were people in his time when he walked the earth who died of diseases. He didn't heal everyone. He was spirit-led. When I think about the needs around us, and, and if, I, if I take the Good Samaritan story as just a moralistic teaching that we play into our situation, then the weight of the world, the brokenness of the world is on our shoulders, and that's not actually where it belongs. We're not strong enough. We don't have the answers for that. That's for God to carry. We're called to be listening and to be obedient, to be spirit-led. There's people who need our help who don't even want our help. Think about last week when, when Avery taught us about the, uh, the sending out of the 72-ish he taught us. What do you say? If they don't receive you, that's okay. Knock the dust off your shoes and keep going. We are at our best when we are not valiantly trying to throw ourselves at needs, but when we're simply listening to the Spirit of God. And the second thing, to be available and willing, because at times the Spirit of God is going to lead you to charge after desperate needs. To be available, listening, and willing. The story of the Good Samaritan for the Good Samaritan is a massive interruption, a massive costly inconvenience. In the first century, especially in this setting, no one traveled for fun or frivolously. It was dangerous. It was difficult. They traveled with complete intent and purpose. I have to be at this place for a very specific reason. And this story comes as an interruption. He wasn't out there looking for beaten up people. He wasn't just casually cruising his donkey around and stumbled upon one. He was going somewhere. And yet in the midst of that, that interruption, that inconvenience, he has pity. It makes himself available, makes himself willing. So I recognize in my own heart, and maybe, maybe this will resonate, resonate with some of you, uh, all, all too often, I think... I use comfort as an indicator of what God wants for me. Now, I would never say it that way, but I, it, it kind of sometimes works that way. All too often, what's comfortable becomes a guide. 
becomes what I think I should do, what makes sense to me. In the everyday living, to the big themes of my life. What am I after? What do I want for my life? What are my truest desires? But if we're to follow the Spirit of God, I can assure you, I can bottom dollar guarantee you, there is going to be times you are called completely out of your comfort. You are going to be called to places that require obedience and willingness. But this is who Jesus is. This is his character. This is what he does. This is his kingdom. And this is the mission that he's invited us to our neighbors. To be spirit-led neighbors who are listening, who are obeying, and who are willing. I'm going to ask our, our band to come back up. They're going to lead us um, here in a few moments. And we're going to sing more. And uh, we're going to come to these tables and... Uh, these tables in 1 Corinthians 11, um, when Paul is, is teaching about the communion table and what these elements represent, we're told to come to this table and we take the bread and we take the juice and it represents God's body, it represents um, Jesus' blood spilt for us on the cross. But, but what Paul tells us before we come to this table is to examine our hearts. One of the things that scripture does when we read stories like this, like the Good Samaritan, is it helps us through the power of the Spirit of God to examine our own hearts. And when we do this, it leads us to repentance. It leads us to submitting. It leads us to obedience. To set aside the places where we seek comfort. To set aside the places where, where we've heard the Spirit of God, but we've chosen not to listen. We've heard the Spirit of God, but, but we've, we've not allowed ourselves to be willing and to be available. So I want to lead us this morning, as we're coming to this table, to take a moment and reflectively pray. Ask the Spirit of God to reveal to your own heart, God, where do I need to confess? Where do I need to repent? Where am I not obedient? And to pray and then to come before him to this table, celebrating that he meets us there graciously. Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you for these words. Thank you. Um, you say your word is seeds that produces fruit in the moment and over time. And uh, as we come to these tables, I, I, I pray that your spirit would take us on a tour of our own heart. Places that we're unaware of, places that we are aware of. Lead us to be people who quickly submit and surrender to you to you for forgiveness because we know you're good, you're merciful. And as we come to this